Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. You know, as we continue to learn these truths, what I have learned about the kingdom of God is a couple things. Number one, you've got to go in small chunks. You know, I know you want me to stay here till 9 and 10 o'clock at night. Our Nautilus staff might not want to stay here till 9 or 10 o'clock at night, but I know you do. But you got to go in small chunks because there's only so much you're going to retain. And when you're touching on and teaching on a subject of this matter that, I mean, let's just be honest, it's knocking over sacred cows left and right. We took care of one last week, right? He came to seek and save that which was lost, not those who were lost, right? We saw that he was after a kingdom the whole time. We thought he was after people. He's after you, but he's after your place in the kingdom. When we start going after these things, man, there's only so much we can handle, and I will overload you quick. So we've been taking it in small chunks, small bites. And the second thing is to help you retain it, you've got to regurgitate it. You've got to recite it. You've got to rehearse it. Meditation doesn't even start until I'm done talking. And your meditation of this, of these principles, of these truths that we look at, is what's going to help you retain it. Because what good is it that we sit in a, in, in a pew for uh, in an hour, hour and a half, whatever, hearing great teaching, seeing great verses, highlighting, starring, underlining, taking notes, whatever you're doing, if we aren't going back and bringing it back up. Amen? We got to bring this back up. Share it with somebody. And there's times I, it, it just, it, it's like what Jeremiah said. It's like a fire shut up in my bones. I have to release this thing. I've got to find so, I don't care. I'll, I'll talk to a, an animal about it. You know, it's like, do you know about God's kingdom? I just talk to anything that will listen, anything that will move, anything that will give, my, give me some attention for a little bit. I got to get it out. And it will help you retain it. It'll help you keep it. It'll reinforce this stuff in you. Amen. And so, you know, I like to do that. We, we have a Bible school program that we operate. We haven't done it in a few years, but we're going to re, be re, relaunching it this fall. We'll have more information coming out soon about Kingdom Institute. And the way Kingdom Institute is designed is there are no uh, tests. There's no multiple choice. There's no true false. There's no fill in the blanks. Uh, we have found that people aren't retaining the information and retaining the knowledge that way. The way that they retain it is when they have to bring it back up. So there's written essays and there's times where you have to come and you have to verbalize, vocalize with your mouth what has been taught to you. It's, it's descriptive rather than just filling in. A, how many of you learned uh, a multiple choice or a true or false or the one word to fill in a blank just to pass the test? Right? We've all done that. Yep. You know, and, and, and we've all been in those test environments. What helps us retain it is when we internalize it in our heart. And that's what we're really after. Because you can walk a stage and get a diploma. Does that really mean anything? There's people have diplomas on their walls with their degrees. And, 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 and what does that even mean? I mean, you go into a doctor's office and they got a diploma, but what if they barely passed? <laughs> That's not a lot of, and you ain't asking them, are you? 
right, Joseph? We ain't coming in saying, now, what did you get on this exam? I need to know. <laughs> what was your GPA? I need to know this. No, we just like diploma. You must have done something great, you know? I mean, you, you got it. You passed. Mate, you made it by the skin of your teeth or with flying colors. Who do we, how do we know? Well, the, we know by the practice, and we know by what's coming out in the test of life. Amen? And so that's why I wanted to just get a little feedback every now and then. Amen? Matthew chapter 8. Man, we have been rediscovering the kingdom of God. Just as Elijah said, he did not come to launch a religious campaign. He did not come to start a ministry. He did not come to uh, uh, create a religious organization. He came to reestablish the kingdom of God. And we started to press into this last week, but this, this element I saved because once I open this bag, it opens up all kinds of stuff. We've got to look at this. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5, it says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, a centurion, a centurion is a leader of the Roman army, okay? So he's a man that has authority, a man that's in charge over, uh, you know, anywhere from two to 10,000 soldiers, they, they, they say historically, he could have under him. And so this is a Roman figure. I also remind you it was the Roman centurions and Roman soldiers that ultimately put Jesus to death. It wasn't their idea. It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees but they were utilizing the Roman soldiers as the military of that day, the police force of that day to carry out sentences. And they were the ones that drove nails into Jesus's hands. They were the ones that whipped open his back. They were the ones that put the crown of thorns on his head. They were the ones that hung him on that cross. That was a Roman form of torture and murder, okay? It was a sentence. It was a death sentence. But that man at, the, at, at one of those individuals is what Jesus is confronted with in this passage saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. A little side note, I shared this with, the, with someone just recently. A little side note here. This is why it's important to live the kingdom life wherever you're at, regardless of how well it may be opposed. Because there's gonna come a time when they're gonna need what you have and they better be able to find you. How horrible would it be that, you know, we were keeping our light under a bushel, as the word says, uh, hidden from those because we're afraid that they won't agree with us or don't believe, it, believe what we believe or, you know, will mock us and oppose us. But then when they are going through a divorce, when they get a, uh, a report, negative report from the doctor when their child has strayed away, when they need you, a kingdom representative, will they be able to find you? And they ought to, become, they ought to be able to come straight to you and say, look, I know we didn't agree before. I know that I may have mocked you. I know that I may have ridiculed you and called you out. But all that business you've been talking and all that life you've been living I'm in dire straits. I need what you got. And a Roman centurion, a Gentile, is coming to Jesus in dire straits. He says, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. 
And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. That was regular activity for Jesus. That was nothing uncommon. He'd go, right, lay hands on. Bible says that there were times that he laid hands on all that were sick, all that were diseased, and they were all healed, right? Not anything peculiar, but it gets peculiar. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Now, to this point, we don't have precedent for this. This man isn't just believing in something he's seen before. This man's going even beyond, and he's saying, there's something that, there's something about you that if you just speak a word from right here, even the geographic separation, the distance, you speak a word, and my servant will be healed. And he's not even saying, let's try this out. I don't want to bother you. I'm not worthy that you would come under my roof. But, you know, so I have an alternative and, you know, let's just try it out and see if it works. Let's hope that by the time I get back, he's well. No, he says, I believe. I'm confident. Come on. That when you just say the word, I've watched what you've done with your hands. I've watched what you have done with the mud in their eyes and the, the daughter rise, come back to life. I, I've watched what you've done in those moments. But in this moment, because of the separation of distance, I believe that if you just speak the word only, my servant will be healed. This is what he says, confident. Now look what he says in verse nine. He gives reason for this. He's not just going out on a limb. He's got this based on something. What's your faith based on? Your faith needs to be based on something, grounded in something. His, he, has, he doesn't just have this whimsical idea. There's a reasoning for his statement, if you speak the word only, my servant will be healed. There's a re, he's got something in his heart that says, this is why I believe this will take place. And you're going to be amazed. It has nothing to do with the Messiah. It has nothing to do with Old Testament prophecy. It has nothing to do with Scripture. It has nothing to do uh, with experience. It has nothing to do with, I called upon Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I've accepted him into my life, and, and, and when I know when I die, I'm going to go to It has nothing to do with any of, uh, of, of that activity. It, it's, it's actually very governmental. You might be surprised that his confident faith is built on this statement. I also am a man under authority. That's why he believes when you say something, it's going to happen. That's his basis. That's his confidence. That's his foundation. For I also, I believe if you speak a word only, my servant will be healed. For I also, he's relating with this guy, a government figure, a military soldier. We've got military in this room right now. They understand rank, position, being under authority, being over authority being subjected to a command and then being over 
a command, following orders. They understand these things. And this is the man that most relates with Jesus. And we thought he was a religious figure. And we thought he was touting Christianity. We think Jesus came as a man to die on a cross for people's sins so that when they die and escape this earth, they will go to heaven and be with God forever. That's how we have framed Jesus. And this man is the only one that got Jesus completely and totally in who he really is and who he really came to be. He says, for I also am a man under authority. What on earth? I I wonder if maybe... We have been celebrating and worshiping and following a different Jesus than the one that walked the earth. It's almost like they're two different people. The one that we say we follow today, 2024 in the United States of America versus 2,000 years ago, in a region that didn't have Christianity. That Jesus, the ones, honestly, the ones that didn't get Jesus? <laughs> I mean, this couldn't be any more clear, I don't think. The ones who put Jesus to death, not physically carried it out. The ones that accused, and ultimately at their words, petitioned for his death and for his murder and went before the officer of that time, Pontius Pilate, and said, this man is worthy of death. This is what needs to be carried out. That community is the religious community. The ones that were, that, that knew the scriptures from since they were a child. Paul said, Uh, When he was Saul, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Could it be possible that religion has hidden us from the true Jesus and that it would take a Gentile Roman soldier to see Jesus in who he really is? For I also am a man under but not only does he identify who he is, he relates to who he is. He says, you're just like me. For I also am a man under authority. He goes on to say, having soldiers under me. So there's two positions that he's mentioning, right? I'm under authority and I'm in authority. Isn't that interesting? For I also am a man, also means what? I'm like you, another one like you. I also am a man under authority. So what's he ultimately saying and implying about Jesus? Jesus is a man under authority. Having soldiers under me. So because I'm under authority, I'm in authority. Remember, Everything he's saying about himself, he's saying about Jesus. Everything he's relating about, I also am a man under authority, you're a man under authority. Having soldiers under me, you've got stuff under you. 
Then he goes on to say, gives clarity. This is what happens because of this authority. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 9 is the reason for verse 8. Verse 9 is why he believes, you, sir, all you need to do. He doesn't know Jesus is the Son of God. This man doesn't know Jesus is this promised Messiah. Jesus doesn't, uh, this man does not, has no idea this is the man that has been prophesied of over 300 times in the Old Testament and all the literature and all the scriptures and all the prophets of old foretelling of his coming, foretelling of him bringing a kingdom and, and, and reinstating it upon the earth and bringing us back into that, into that uh, kingdom, back into that sheepfold. He, he doesn't know this. He's a Gentile. He's a Roman soldier. He's never occupied himself with that level of religious or scriptural activity. He just is in a situation that needs what this man has and knows enough about this man that I can come to you and I believe you can do something about it. And not only can you do something about it, I believe you can do it in a way it's never been done before because I recognize about you, you are a man under authority, which means you're also a man in authority. And like Elijah said, that has nothing to do with religion. That has everything to do with government. That has everything to do with the kingdom. And it took a Roman soldier to see that side of Jesus. It took a Roman soldier, a Gentile, an outsider. One that at least is a part of a company that literally put this man to death. Not someone that's a follower of Jesus, a pupil, a studier, a student. He sees something about him that everybody else has missed, and even to this day, people are missing. He says, I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, Verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled. You want Jesus to marvel? Jesus marveled at unbelief too, by the way. <laughs> you, can get Je- you can get Jesus's attention with your unbelief or with your faith. You choose. I want him to marvel at my faith. He marveled. And he says, to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. The sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's talking about seeing. He's talking about this man has seen something that no others have seen. Others have missed this. Jesus says to the centurion, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his his servant was healed that same hour.
To understand the ministry of Jesus, we have to understand the element of authority. This is not the only time Jesus is referred to as someone having authority. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. This is not the only time. There is a verse that we have, again, just as what's happened with much of this, scriptures that we know well, scriptures that we have recited and rehearsed, scriptures that, that we stand upon as a Christian community. Matthew chapter 28. Verse 18, does anybody happen to know without even it being on the screen, does anybody even know what that's called? What do we call that? The Great Commission. I mean, that's like one of the Sunday school basics right there. That's one of the fundamentals. The Great Commission. Well, what does the Great Commission say? Matthew 28, verse 18. We got it? Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all what? Now, why would a religious figure need to talk about authority? Why would, a, why would someone that is coming to start a religious organization be talking about authority? Why would authority even be at play here? Shouldn't we be talking about salvation? Shouldn't we be talking about being a good person? Shouldn't we be talking about repentance? He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. This is the, only, this is the thing you understand, that you need to understand about the kingdom of God. The, the, what you understand of the kingdom, how you operate in the kingdom, is only as good as your understanding of authority. What good is it to have a kingdom if you don't have authority? Now, there's two things mentioned here. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. There's two things that if you're gonna be in, if you're gonna rule as a king, there's two things you gotta have. You cannot have one without the other. If you're gonna rule as a king, Number one is you got to have authority. What good is being a king if you don't have the authority to do anything? You got to have some authority, don't you? Number two is you got to have some territory. You got to have something to rule over. What did we say a kingdom was? A king's domain. It's the territory over which a king exercises his rule. So what good is it to have authority if I don't have a territory to rule over? <laughs> what good is it to have a territory if I don't have the authority to execute anything? Gotta have both. And he says what? I have authority and I have territory. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This statement doesn't even need to be said if all you are is a religious figure. In fact, this statement doesn't even make sense. <laughs> if all you are is someone that came and died for people that were in sin and that couldn't get themselves out so that when they die, they'll come to heaven one day. I mean, that, that statement is completely irrelevant. 
You can scratch it from the books if all we believe about Jesus is that he was a religious figure. I'm trying to help you see. I'm trying to reinforce why Jesus came. We've already talked about the kingdom. We've already talked about that Jesus was obsessed with this kingdom. It's all he talked about. He didn't talk about the things we talk about. We preach about Jesus, but we don't preach about what Jesus preached about. We've covered this. We went all the way back to Genesis and saw that God's original intent and plan that was to extend his spiritual invisible kingdom to the natural visible realm called earth. He extended it. And then he put man on it and said, let them have dominion. Let them rule. We've seen this. We saw that man by voluntary transgression, it was not stolen, it was forfeited when man sinned rebelled against the word of the king, handed over the kingdom to who? Satan, that serpent of old, who's still deceiving nations today, right? We've seen the the common thread all throughout. He's the God of the, he's the reason why we see what we see in this world today. And sin entered in. Sickness and disease entered in. Depravity entered in. Brokenness entered. Everything that is the opposite of what God is about has entered into this realm. And God didn't abandon or abort that plan. He desired to restore that plan. We covered this. And he did it through his son, Jesus. Because God said, the only one that can get them back is me. But the problem is, is I can't go into that realm and do anything because I gave man dominion over that realm and I'm spirit. Y'all tracking? So he said, I've got to find a way to get myself down there. And he put himself in flesh, housed in a body just like you and I. Deity takes on humanity. And now this man's walking the earth And nobody sees him for who he really is. Now we have a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier that understands rank, understands order, understands authority, understands position, understands if I'm submitted, then I'm in. Because what happened to Adam? The moment they came out from under authority, they lost their authority. And this Roman centurion recognizes, for I also am a man under. See, if I don't remain under authority, I can't remain in authority. That's the key. But Jesus came in a position of authority over a kingdom. He is a king over a kingdom. To get the kingdom back, to restore the kingdom back, and to put you in your place in the kingdom. I thought he died so I could go to heaven. No. You'll go to heaven. But I'm just going to go ahead and let you know right now. I hope this doesn't shock you. You ain't staying there. (laughs) We're not staying there. All we preach about is gold streets and mansions. Yeah, I mean, guys, we, uh, we have whittled this thing down to what allows man to live life with the least amount of personal responsibility. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, you're coming back down here. Heaven's coming back down here and you're coming back with them. 
to rule and to reign. So we better get an understanding of it now. Because wouldn't you hate to get into eternity and, and find out that you could have learned some things there? And now I'm here and I'm having to start in kindergarten. I want to have already graduated to some things and said, you gave us the book. You gave us your son. You gave us your Holy Spirit. You gave us the disciples and the apostles that went before us. It's all they ever talked about. How were we missing this and thinking we were just going to escape to heaven, live in our mansions, walk on gold streets, and enjoy life up here and, and, and think it's all just going to be? No, you're going to rule and reign. So we better figure it out. We need to train to reign. <laughs> train to reign. We are going to train to reign at Anchor Faith Church. So Jesus is showing this, so showing us this element of authority. Let's look at some things real quick. Going to go through this quick. I'm going to have these guys back here get these verses up quickly for us. You're going to write them down. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, what did this look like? This man with this authority, this man under authority, but this man in authority. Matthew chapter four, verse 23, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. This is authority in operation. Authority in operation. Mark chapter four, verse 35. The same day when evening had come, he said to them, let's cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, it took them along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with them. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. This is what authority will do. This is what authority will do. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher. There we go. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea. He didn't say to God about the sea. He said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind continued to blow even harder than it was before. No, it says, then the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Why? Because he's in authority. He's in authority. But he said to them, why do you have no faith? In Mark chapter eight, Mark chapter eight and verse one. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, gave them to his disciples and set them before uh, them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish. Having blessed them, he said to them, 
uh, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000. How do you feed 4,000 people with a few fish and some bread? How do we do that? Unless you've got some authority somewhere. See, what we call a miracle, God simply calls authority. It's just what it looks like. It's just authority. In Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, verse 12. Now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. You skip on down to verse 20. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Jesus curses the fig tree, and what happens? It dries up. It will no longer produce figs. He said, no one ever eat from you again. Matthew chapter 4, in verse 1. It's the parable of the, or not the parable, it's the story of Jesus being tempted by the devil. We covered that one last week, so I'm not going to go too in-depth. But We know that Jesus ultimately overcomes the three temptations and eventually says what? Get away from here. Leave me alone. Overcame the devil. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, when he had come to the other side, to the country of uh, the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out from the tombs, exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, the son of God? Are you the son of God? You come here to torment us before the time. Now, a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him saying, if you cast us out, permit us to go away uh, into the herd of swine. And he said to them, go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine. Suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Now Jesus is casting out demons. I've given you what, six references? I haven't even covered John chapter 11. He raises Lazarus from the dead after being dead four days. Mark chapter five, heals a woman with an issue of blood and heals a a man's young 12-year-old daughter who died along the way, raised her up from the dead, healed blind eyes, healed deaf ears, healed crippled hands. Jesus obviously operated in the earth with authority. Authority. He was authorized. How was he able to do this? Well, you know, any of us, most Christians will refer to the deity side of Jesus. Well, he was God. He's God in the flesh. Of course he could walk around and do whatever he wanted to do. 
Of course, he's God. He can heal, deliver, set free, raise the dead, cast out demons, speak to storms. I mean, he's exercised uh, uh, authority over demons. He's exercised authority over sickness and disease. He's exercised authority over nature. He's exercised authority over the weather. He's exercised authority over crops, bread, fish in the sea. Anybody seeing a pattern? He exercised uh, 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 authority over demons. And he exercised authority over Satan himself. And he exercised authority over death. Ultimately, by coming back from the dead himself. You show me one thing that Jesus couldn't rule over. (laughs) You show me one thing Jesus couldn't take care of. How was he doing this? Well, he's the son of God. He's God. He was perfect. Well, Luke chapter four tells us how he did these things. And it's important to look at this. Luke chapter four says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. How is he walking in such authority? Jesus did not do what he did in the earth as God. Jesus did not operate in the earth as God. The the, the, the Roman centurion mentioned nothing of Jesus' deity. The Roman centurion said nothing about, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you are the Messiah. I believe you were sent from heaven, that you have power that nobody else on this planet has because you are God. And only you can perform these. He's not, what does he say? For I also am a man under authority. Did we, is that what we read? It's okay to acknowledge it. It might scare you a little bit, but it's okay to acknowledge it. He didn't recognize anything of his messiahship. He didn't recognize anything of his religious status. He didn't recognize anything of his deity. He recognized something that was actually very much humanity. You're submitted to something. And because you're submitted to something, things submit to you. And I believe if you just say the word only, this guy's so confident, he's willing to stretch his faith to unprecedented levels to believe something that's never even happened before. Miss one thing, if you can say, I believe you can speak to my servant the way you spoke to their servant. But he's never done this before. He's never just strictly spoken And he's able to grow his faith. He's able to have such a confident expectation. He's able to have such a strong foundation because of the words, for I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. No, Jesus didn't do what he did as God. Jesus did what he did as a man submitted to God. And one more step, 
anointed of or empowered by the Spirit, as Luke chapter 4 tells us. What did the two things Jesus had? One, he was submitted. Two, he was empowered. Submitted, a man under authority. Empowered, a man in authority. And the only way the empowered works is is if the submitted works. Y'all got me? Jesus had no trouble on this plane. There was one thing he did have trouble with. People's will and people's minds. The unrenewed mind and the selfish will. But in Genesis chapter 1, we weren't given authority over those two things in the first place. Jesus came and walked this earth and showed you what Genesis 1.26 looks like. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. He multiplied fish. You know, one time he got a coin out of a fish's mouth. You know, one time he took some fishermen that couldn't get fish all night long and said, throw the net on this side. Hauled in so much it began to break the nets. We call it a miracle. Jesus calls it authority. He said, I'm in charge. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air. Over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and over all the earth. Jesus came to show you what Genesis 1.26 looks like. He came to show you what a man in authority looks like. But how do you become a man in authority? You must first be a man under authority. And go ahead and understand this now. Your authority only works to the level of your submission. Your authority only works to the level of your submission. Ask any of these military servicemen and women in this room. Their authority that they have only works as long as they remain submitted and in the uh, under the uh, 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 accurate authority that they have been placed under. You become insubordinate. You become rebellious. You get out of line. You lose your authority. It won't work. Ask King Saul. King Saul was what? He was the king. Disobeyed and rebelled against the word of the Lord, 1 Samuel chapter 13, 1 Samuel chapter 15. And in chapter 15, Samuel comes to him and says, today the Lord has removed the kingdom from you and given it to another man. Why? Because if you won't remain under authority, you cannot remain in authority. Jesus did what he did as God. He was God in, in the, and look, I understand. That's the easy statement to make. That's the easy statement to make. Because you and I then get to live life being spectators. If that's the true statement, if God did what, if Jesus did what he did as God, and not as a human man submitted to God, empowered by the Spirit, then, yeah, we sit by and applaud. 
We can call it a miracle all day long and take no responsibility for the conditions of the world and how we have either allowed or let in the conditions that we see. Jesus did what he did as a man, submitted to the Father and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is important to understand because what good is a kingdom? What good is the ability to rule and reign if you don't have authority and you don't have a territory? And Jesus came and said, let me show you what I'm restoring. Let me show you what I'm bringing back. Let me show you what I'm doing. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Matthew chapter six, let me wrap up with this one. Because we got to connect this now. We got to connect this. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. So Matthew chapter 6, he says, In this manner, verse 9, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, how would be your name? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this was his mission. And this is what he left us in charge of. This is what he left to us. That our prayer would be, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Is he in authority to do whatever he wants to do? No. He's in authority to see the will of the Father brought to the earth. To see the kingdom of God reign upon the earth once again. And it took a Roman centurion. It took a soldier. It took a Gentile. It took one that didn't have a lens of religious over his eyes to see him for who he really was. And this is why it's important to see Jesus for who he really is. There's many people, many Christians, many believers that have taken the same veil the same lens, the same confusion about Jesus and his ministry and who he is. And we've made him out to be something he never was. It's like we're talking about two different people, the Jesus in the Bible and the Jesus that we say we worship and celebrate today. They might be two completely different people. I don't know about you. I don't want to be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I'd rather be like a Roman centurion to see him for who he really is. Amen. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the true ministry of Jesus, his true calling. Yes, he's deity. Philippians tells us that he cast off that deity to put on humanity to become like us. Father, I thank you that he came to be our example. 
He came to show us what Genesis 1.26 looks like. Let them have dominion. Let them rule. Let them reign on that territory, in that territory, on that earth. And Father, I thank you that we get this glimpse, just as that Roman centurion had. We get the true image of the person of Jesus. Father, I thank you you continue to bring illumination by your spirit, continue to bring revelation and understanding, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, that we can receive this, we can retain this, we can operate and walk in it fully in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.